As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello, um, it's Wednesday. Welcome to Off Air with me, Jane Garvey. And me, Fee Glover. Now, um, we have a packed edition of our Off Air podcast today containing an interview with Gen Z spokesperson Florence Given, although she's sick to death of being called a spokesperson for Gen Z. It got it's, us off to what could have been a negative start, but we recovered. It could have been difficult. We recovered yeah. in that interview, I think. Yeah, but uh, she... So you you, you retracted it well because you noticed her slight squeal when well, it was I heard. Said. I didn't just notice yeah. it, I heard it. But it also, thought, I have to say... There are worse things to be called than, you know, the poster girl of a whole generation. Well, we had worked out that I was officially a boomer and you are Gen what? X. Yeah, which is the born after in the late 1960s. Yes. In yeah. your case, the very late. Yep. She said carefully, 1960s. <laughs> I was only just before the moon landings. Yes, OK. Uh, and it does make a difference, I think, doesn't it? Um, that So I was a boomer because I was born just in 1964. Yeah, I am definitely a boomer. But only just. Yep. Stay with us, it gets better. No, no, it won't necessarily. Um, there's also something I want to mention. Um, you know the lovely story about the cat with no genitals? Well, I mean, it's a story about a cat with no genitals. Is it lovely? Well, it is lovely because the cat's... It's a kitten. Never been discovered before, apparently. I mean, you're right because you pointed out in a, I thought, rather a cynical way. There must have been loads of cats with no genitals. They just haven't found them. Well, it's just... Um, you haven't checked all of the cats no. in the world. Well, I thought it was very sweet. It was staring out at me from the Daily Telegraph. And let's face it, there's not always a lot of, sometimes a little absence of kindness in that organ. <laughs> but, but, there, but there was Hope, that's the kitten's name, and even better, uh, Hope's been adopted by a student. So she's sure to be, no, she was not she, is she? They. They will be very well cared for, I'm sure. And a lot of people might be thinking, well, can Hope go to the lavatory? And the answer apparently is yes. Okay. Uh, is Hope a her meowphrodite? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're pleased with that. Pathetic. <laughs> You've got to stop throwing shade. Also, uh, a story, another story in the Telegraph. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Archers is obsessed with teenagers. <laughs> Three to five times radio. <laughs> um, I. This is a story from yes. Radio 4's Feedback. Oh, I understand you're making an appearance on... <laughs> it's funny with us. Um, we've left the BBC, but we're never that far away from it, Actually, spiritually, it I was thinking seem. about it today. I started my career at Radio 4 by having to appear on feedback yes. because people were so annoyed that I'd arrived on the network. Yeah. I'm ending my career at Radio 4. Appearing on feedback. Because people are so annoyed I've left the network. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's a very beautiful full circle being uh, achieved there. So, yes, if you're a fan of feedback, it's excellent. Andrea Catherwood is now the host, uh, and you can hear Fee uh, on that over the weekend. But this is another story about people have been writing to feedback, uh, which is the Radio 4 Carpus show, uh, to complain about too many teenage antics on the Archers. Now, it was only a couple of weeks ago that people were worried there was going to be some sort of group sex activity in a hot tub in Ambridge. I listened to that episode. I'm here to tell you no orgy occurred because there have been sex scenes on the arches with sound effects, which honestly troubled people for years afterwards. They I'm really not do. Surprised. No, I'm not surprised either. Um, there was nothing like that on that occasion. But there is, I think, a really good story at the moment, a good storyline about a teenager who's got pregnant after what was exceptionally casual sex at a rave or just after a rave and she is really wrestling with what to do about it and actually I think it's been really well done so I don't don't agree with people complaining about these storylines in shows like that I think it's really important that these stories are played out in in real time almost I think they're very good at doing stuff like that absolutely staffing sister Garvey thank you for drawing our attention to that I think we should graze across some other should we talk emails rival broadcasters as well this one comes from Hazel Rolston who says uh, I've been a listener for a long time now and I'm really enjoying hearing you both on Times Radio I particularly enjoy your insightful questions interviews and reflections Hey-ho. I've been listening to your podcast with Michael Palin and I thought I'd mention a Netflix series that I enjoyed recently uh, all about North and South Korea, which I wondered if you'd have time to enjoy too. Uh, And Hazel goes on to say that she'd had a period of lengthy illness and have whiled away many an hour on the sofa underneath an amazing fleece electric overblanket. It's not all bad. That sounds like quite a cosy way to get better. Anyway, she says, I came across this series and I've now watched a few mostly South Korean ones Another amazing one is The Extraordinary Adventures of Attorney Wu. Have you grazed into the K-pop and the K-drama it's funny, and I the K-romance? but I know I probably should have done. Yeah, I think That you sounds interesting. I'm going to make a note of that for my very important Radio Times column about television. Yes, because that's one of the most famous exports is it? of okay. K-culture. Oh, well, I'll, I'll make, I really yeah. will watch underline that. Underline that. Yeah. I'm going to I found the Below it. series Crash Landing on You fascinating regarding the contrast in North and South Korea, and I found my ideas really challenged and came away with a real sense of endearment and affection for the people of North Korea. And it was interesting yesterday, wasn't it, that uh, that Michael Palin did say uh, that he, you know, if he was a slightly, uh, not as, as advanced in his years person, then a life in North Korea might not have been so bad. And I think we've, we've just got this kind of blanket thing yes. yeah. where we can't possibly imagine it. But Hazel, thank you for the recommendation. Always happy to hear some of those. Toilets is something that interests just about everybody. Um, And Kath says, I'm really enjoying Off Air. Greatly relieved when I found it after the sad last day of the final Fortunately episode. Further to your toilet stall quirks, I thought I'd tell you about mine. Since I was a child, I could only use a loo if people are nearby by putting my fingers in my ears. If I can't hear any noises, then no one else can. It works well. I would recommend it. Kath. That's not right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't well, she can't hear you. But she can't hear, get your fingers out of your ears just because... Anyway, look, if it works for her, that's fine. Yes. But I know some people do have a very genuine thing about not being able to use the loo when other people are in the vicinity. Well, somebody quite close to me can't use a public loo at all. 
it's that, quite common. Yes, yeah. yeah, and that has uh, proved to be a little bit complicated when trying to see family members. Yeah, and Cher in says, Scotland. Um, is it, sorry, is the person's in Scotland. Have we now identified them? No, we no. Okay. Half my family's from Scotland. Yeah. We'll be all right. Okay. Um, you were talking about choosing a store in the restroom, says Cher, who's one of our American listeners. This reminded me of something. Jane vowed to out the phantom crapper of Broadcasting House. Did she ever complete the quest? I'm afraid I didn't because we were never able to actually find the culprit. All I'll say about the Phantom Crapper of Broadcasting House, who for new joiners was someone who used to make a complete mess oh, in a toilet. I'm toy- feeling a bit unwell just No, I know, but it really annoyed me. And I, it was a long story. I put up a sign. Uh, it was taken down. Uh, I felt so angry that the cleaners were expected to clean up after this person that I put up a sign saying, don't do it. And then that sign was taken down and I was spoken to by workplace because I'd put up a homemade sign. <laughs> anyway. You're really enjoying this story, aren't you? It's not even a new one to you. You know this. Um, But what was interesting during lockdown, uh, when I was still going into work, was that the phantom crapper was absent. So they weren't an essential worker, which suggests they may have been management. (laughs) Or a presenter. Who wasn't in the building. Florence Given is an author, (laughs) artist, I'm putting my fingers in my ears, is an author, (laughs) artist, influencer, podcaster, and the young woman sometimes called the voice of Gen Z. Her first book, Women Don't Owe You Pretty, sold by the truckload and was the gateway to feminism for an awful lot of young girls. And her new novel, Girl Crush, is out now. She was on our programme this afternoon and we started by introducing her as the voice of Gen Z, a title she had been given, She Shrieked, and she explained why. I think it's um it's something that we do that just doesn't it just doesn't really mean anything. I think it's a lot of responsibility to put on a person for someone yeah. that just wants to speak their opinions and and share things that hopefully resonate with a lot of people. Well, listen, I would love to be called the voice of the last boomers. of the boomers, <laughs> the voice of the last of the boomers. Yeah, I'd take that. I'd, abs- I'd absolutely love it. Um, so, Florence, just for people listening who don't know you, lots of people will, but some won't be quite so certain. So uh, your feminist awakening occurred when? Would you say it was at school or a bit later than that? Yes, probably in school. Um, I think I had it quite early on when I was I was in school. I was in a group of friends and I'd start, I'd actually stopped wearing a bra Um, And then people started to talk about the fact that I wasn't wearing a bra anymore. And I was actually not wearing a bra, not for feminist reasons, not because uh, I wanted to burn my bra or anything like that. It was just because my back was hurting. And then I became very aware of my body. And then it wasn't until I went to uh, start going out at the age of 18 that I noticed men groping, harassing me and my friends in nightclubs. But all of my friends were older than me. So they'd been very used to it and experienced it quite a bit. And I was the only person who thought that it was absolutely insane that this was so normalized. So I started to put it into my artwork and my illustrations, started sharing them online um, and gained an audience through people relating to the same issues. And it was really empowering and also very disheartening to realise that a lot of women were feeling the same way. Right. And And indeed had felt that way for hundreds of years. I mean, let's be honest, none of this is new, is it, unfortunately? No, no. No, I was interviewed by someone recently um, who was twice my age and she said that her journey into her journey coming her journey coming into feminism was almost exactly the same as mine and that it's quite sad that nothing's changed and that a lot of women come into this space through rage and through the same experiences it's really funny you mention that because i have tried to have this conversation with um my my parents actually who are well into their 80s i'm 58 they're into their 80s and Mm. they 
they're not in any way malicious people, but I don't think they're unusual in being from their generation. They don't really get it because they perhaps didn't get the opportunity to question this status quo at all. It was simply that there was one way of living that was available to women and another way for men. Yes, I totally agree with you. I also think it's it's become uh, quite a privilege to even have time to sit and reflect on things. I think we all gained some of that during the pandemic where a lot of us realised a lot about ourselves because we weren't working a nine to five. A lot of people weren't working a nine to five that were sent home for lockdown or quarantine. Um, I think a lot of realisations came out of that. Um, I definitely agree with you that not all, the, even with my own parents, you know, I have a very good relationship with them, but there's some stuff that they don't understand yet. And I don't think it's malicious. And I think that it, it does take a lot of compassion to be able to have those conversations with people who don't come from a bad place, but come from a fixed mindset of things mm. because it's all they ever knew. And I think you do have to have some compassion when it comes to talking about this stuff, because mm. otherwise people like just end up doubling down on their original beliefs. Doubling down and worse, actually. I mean, you could argue, couldn't you, Florence, that we've never been in a more worrying place with the polarisation of uh, genders. And also, if you look at how many men clearly haven't got the memo or spent the time reading it, you know, young men are... Sometimes they're dubious allies of feminism. Do you find that in your own generation? I think there's a new trend with my generation of men learning about this stuff, but using it just to further their agenda uh, to either date women. I've had it even with my book. Um, I've had men use my book to get women into bed with them or to date women. And I feel like the more that we are using this, um, and of course, not all men, but there, there's a new trend with men learning about feminism that uh, they're using it to further their agenda with women. Yeah. And we really want to say not all men. It's so important to say not all men because, do you know what, sometimes I think it must be so difficult if you're a nice, kind, compassionate, empathetic man, uh, you know, listening to conversations which make you out to be part of something that is really deeply troubling. But but I, I wonder, you know, when you were writing your novel, when you were writing your self-help book, is there a bit of you that thinks, I've got to make this appealing to everybody uh, across the spectrum, I mean, and and get away from the kind of the feminist tag. I think I the feminist tag can be limiting for all the reasons you're saying, you know, because it doesn't appeal to some people. But the title of my first book, "Women Don't Owe You Pretty," was aimed at men, and a lot of men have found a lot of empowerment from the book, even just on their own level of their their understanding of boundaries. But also, I've met, I've met men in pub gardens who have read my book. Um, it was after everything that happened with Sarah Everard. Their girlfriends around them had asked them to read my book, and they'd started. Uh, charities and companies and conversations with the people in their lives that have helped to get women home safely um all of this kind of stuff i think that your my work can appeal to men but i feel like they need someone in their life to maybe introduce it to them i've always tried to find a way not to water down my message because i don't think that it should be watered down that uh you know 90% of all violent crime committed to women happens to men or that most of the violent crime in the world does is committed by men i don't think that should be watered down but to even get people to listen to those conversations, I think there does need to be uh, a bridge between uh, understanding and some some ideas that seem so foreign and complex to people. Uh, your your artwork is is really direct and really gets some quite complex messages over in a, a very very 
easy to understand way, which, is, by the way, I'm not saying it's easy to do because if it was, everybody would be doing it and let's face it, you've done it. Uh, but there's, there's one poster of yours I like, um, Stop Raising Him, He's Not Your Son. And there's a very stern-looking yes. woman with her arms folded. And it does seem to me that there are an amazing number of women, and not just women, who seem prepared to settle for life mm. with a man who is a sort of giant toddler, sort of forever infantilised and... But it's, I wonder whether it suits the woman as, or indeed their male partner as well. What, what do it, you think about that? I think it's a really interesting dynamic where essentially, I, I saw something uh, maybe a year ago where it was in a woman's magazine and it was promoting this idea of chore play where to get your husband to do house chores, you will offer in exchange for them sex. And I thought that that was so strange that when it comes to household labor and sharing the tasks and all of this stuff that not only does it hurt the woman to have to constantly pander and pick up everything after a man, it also hurts the man because why are we treating men like they're these bumbling oafs that don't know what they're doing? They're very capable of doing this stuff. And I think that it's a way to often, you know, I've seen that um, on the online, some men are purposely not doing the grocery run run well so because they know that their wives will just say oh I'll just do it and I'll take over it and I think that perhaps there's this just uh lineage of this always happening that mm. we kind of cling to um, yeah I wonder um, and I wonder too about women's capacity to be territorial about some domestic stuff and and don't get me started on childcare because that's a whole other don't get her started no don't don't get me started um what, <laughs> what do you think about that I know you're not at that stage yet but would that concern you in the future um, I, if, if I was with a man uh, in the future, that I guess that would concern me because of the roles and all the stuff that people say about, uh, you know, uh, oh, does he babysit the children? Can you get your husband to babysit when it's his own child? It's not something I've experienced. Um, but yeah, I guess that would be something that I'd be concerned about in the future if, that, if I was to ever be in, in the situation. But I know that a lot of women go through that. That's Florence Given talking to us earlier. You can hear the rest in just a moment. 
Welcome back. Now, we've been talking to feminist, author, artist and mega-successful influencer Florence Given. We talked to her about her new novel, Girl Crush, and the dual existence of her protagonist. Uh, it's a woman called Eartha, and she's on the social media site called, in the book, Wonderland. I really wanted to kind of bring what we're currently experiencing with Instagram and with social media and bring it into the future and kind of uh, put it on steroids because I think people can draw comparisons a lot easier with their own life when something is exaggerated. I feel like it's a lot easier to protect yourself into. I wanted to kind of show what it could be like in the future. The social media app Wonderland is a lot more dystopian, I feel, and people are actually like plugged in to their devices in this fictitious uh, setting. Yeah, but that that is the likely, that's the future, isn't it? That's probably yes. only a couple of years away, let's be honest. Absolutely, yeah. And would you, do you anticipate that you will stay forever on platforms or will you in five years time be living in a yurt somewhere in the Hebrides? <laughs> I feel like my boundaries with social media have enabled me to get the best out of it. Um, it's, it's small things like making sure that my phone is charged outside my bedroom before I go to bed. Um, there are definitely times where social media has consumed my life, probably during lockdown. I think social media is such a beautiful space. I wouldn't have a lot. My, I wouldn't have my career without it. No, no, that's um, true. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't have all of this amazing opportunities that have been brought to me through using it to kind of share my message. You get to be your own creative director. You get to share your work out there. Um, and what I was really interested in doing with the book was sharing a journey that was different to mine, where I've, I've been very supported by the people in my life and the people around me and in the industry uh, with my career. But with this novel, the girl goes viral for making a video um, and she's taken advantage of. And I think that I'm seeing this happen a lot with people now is that we're holding uh, girls who go viral on TikTok or Instagram to the same standard as politicians and that we demand that they constantly talk about um, this latest issue and I've, I've seen a lot of it online and I think it's interesting I'm, I'm just really interested in social media and discussing it, it. it is also another world in which women are held to a different standard yes exactly just yeah. another dimension for it yeah. to play out on and you're very very open about sex and about sexuality and Eartha in Girl Crush is bisexual and mm. you talk about the dynamics of going on a date with a woman going on your first or the character's first date with a woman tell me about that Yes, it was really exciting for me to write a protagonist that was bisexual. Um, I read this book a few years ago that has a, a swear word in the title, so I won't say it. But um, it was a it was a short memoir, and I'd never read anything like it. It was a, with a bisexual protagonist. It was dark. It was funny. It was queer. Um, and I I'd never written fiction before, and I wanted to write something that made people feel that same way. Uh, so yeah, going on your first date with a woman, it's, it's particularly if you've only ever dated men, it's a completely different experience and. I just wanted to write something that reflected that experience because a lot of people, my, I'm very tapped into my audience and a lot of them were coming out as bisexual during lockdown, the more that they'd spent time with their own thoughts and uh, realised that a lot of the stuff that they were doing before was because they weren't attracted to men. And I just thought it was interesting to write something that I would have loved to have read when I came out also. That is interesting. I'm not. I've not heard anybody say that as one of the, what, the side link between of lockdown. lockdown. And, yeah, yes, well. a realization of uh, you know something quite deep like that. Mm. Um, Florence, there's a lot of chaos in the novel, isn't there? Uh, but I wonder whether actually you feel quite in control of things yourself. I mean, you're certainly a super soar away <laughs> sensation, aren't you? I, I I do feel in control of things myself. I what was really fun about writing this novel was that I got to create messy characters. 
And I definitely have a lot of perfectionistic tendencies. So being able to dip into this world where there was lots of chaos, there was lots of drama, and also the characters weren't completely politically correct themselves because they're human beings and they're flawed. I think with my first book, Women Don't Know You Pretty, when I was talking about all of this, uh, all of these beliefs and all of these long held things that women have viewed about themselves through patriarchy, through racism, transphobia, transphobia homophobia, um, it was very much this politically correct guide on this is this, this is that. But I wanted to create the characters that were making the mistakes along the way and being a bit messy themselves in their own lives. Mm. It was quite liberating to do it. Because I don't think anyone should hold themselves to a ridiculous standard of, of, mo of like moral purity because it's just another thing that women are aspiring to. You no longer have to just be pretty and, and be intelligent. You also have to have exactly the correct opinions or, yeah. or else. Yeah. Mm. So, so you're in a very good place yourself in a position of, you know, quite a lot of power. I wonder how you look at women like Jane and I who are old enough to be your parents and then some and have tried to fight the good fight you know along the way do you feel mm. a lot of similarity with us you know approaching this interview I was a little bit trepidatious about talking to you because oh wow you seem to you know you're you're just an extraordinary young woman but I wonder how you feel about <laughs> talking to us that's so interesting that you that you had trepidation I I normally have trepidation with older women because I've had experience where older women don't want me to be in the same spaces as them but I try to what, treat what, every what do you mean by that um I think it's a case of with um feminism I'm I'm a young feminist and so I have a lot of respect for older feminists and there have been places where I suppose people think that you need to have had a lot more life experience to talk about these things. Yeah, but I suppose that would mean that the only good feminist was one who was 110. And that's no, just, I, ridiculous, I, I'm totally isn't it? With you. I'm yeah. totally, totally with you. But I found it interesting to mm. hear you say that you had trepidation. But I'm, I'm, I have total respect for older feminists. Um, wouldn't be able to do this stuff without you. So... Yeah. Am I allowed to be then, without patronising you, slightly worried about uh, not just you, I'm using you in the general sense, the future of a generation who are so open about sex? My worry as an older woman is there might come a time in your life where you don't want sex to be the <laughs> first thing someone sees about you. Yes, I think I'm actually... Um... <sighs> I think I've I've been able to take personal risks of my vulnerability to make sure that other women feel liberated to talk about exploring their bodies for pleasure, uh, coming out as queer, all of this kind of stuff. But I've definitely uh, probably over the last year or so um, stopped sharing information about my private life online. I've actually never shared anything unless it was very much in the past and I'd either healed from it, recovered from it. Uh, journaled about it, already spoke about it with my friends, but there have definitely been some times where I've shared things, had them repeated back to me by strangers on the street and realised that I have no one to blame but myself. Oh, crikey. <laughs> right. yeah. crikey is the right word there. Uh, so yeah. what, what's next for you, Florence? I mean, you've had a, a best-selling novel and a, a work of non-fiction. So what about, I don't know, screenplay? What would you think? Yes, absolutely. I, I would love to go into screenwriting. I want to write books for the rest of my life. Um, I have a lot of books that I want to write, some in 10 years, because I do think they require uh, a lifetime of experience to write them. But yeah, writing books, writing. Um, I'd also like to go into fashion someday as well. That was Florence Given, and we did enjoy talking to her. Do you know what I did? I said yesterday on the podcast that I was a little bit trepidatious about the interview. And I did try and think about why, really, after we'd done the podcast yesterday. And I think it's that thing of never wanting to appear really patronising to a younger person, but also wanting to try and work out a way 
of saying you're young and things might change for you, actually, just because I remember my 23-year-old self, nowhere near as accomplished uh, or forthright as Florence Given. But I, that 23-year-old, needed lots of things around her, actually, from other decades and generations. And I think yeah, that's Yeah, but did you realise it at the bit. time? No, and that's what that's what makes me trepidatious. Mm. So I don't think there's a very easy link, actually, between generations of women at the moment. I think we're a bit disconnected, a little bit afraid of each other, maybe a bit competitive with each other, and certainly distanced by technology. That's just my house. <laughs> that's just our, our production desk. <laughs> yes, and, and that as well. Yeah. But no, I mean, you're right. At 23, you're much more certain about many more things than you are when you're older. Yeah. Which makes me wonder just how many doubts am I going to have at 85 or 80 or 90? Oh, my goodness. I'll be so riddled with doubt I won't be able to do anything. No, I think the tide turns, doesn't it? It seems to be. The, the doubt thing seems to atrophy a bit and just oh. be replaced by stubbornness. And so I I'll can... start going around shouting, bring back hanging! Well, I mean, there's a, I can see a little bit of the turn already. <laughs> if I can be honest, Jane. Just eat overcooked veg <laughs> and capital punishment and national service. And plenty of time to watch television during the day, which you've gone too soon on. <laughs> no, I watch it. No, if I'm doing it professionally, watching TV during the day, I watch it on a laptop. Totally different thing. Very professional. And I will recommend, if anyone's looking for a new show, to really get into the English, which you'll find on BBC television. It's Hugo Blick, directed and written by Hugo Blick, and it stars Emily Blunt. And she's out there in uh, America, um, as sort of trying to track down the killer of her son. I think people will really enjoy it. The only thing about the English is just how incredibly good Emily Blunt manages to look in some of the most trying circumstances of the Wild West. Her hair, her clothes, mysteriously immaculate. Everybody oh. else looks awful. It's the Western one. Yes. Oh, I saw that. Yep. Can't do a Western. I don't think you'll but follow thanks. it. No, but uh, it's more for intellectuals. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you. We love hearing from you all, so please do continue to get in touch on email. Jane and Fee at times.radio. You can tweet us while Twitter's still alive at Times Radio using the hashtag Jane and Fee. And don't forget to follow us if you can and leave a review of the podcast wherever it is you're listening to us right now. Go on. Go on, do it. I mean, do it if you want. I don't want to be too insistent. I'm the more laid back of the two of us. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. 
Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com